0: good morning. I kind of feel like I have walked through the produce department of a major supermarket after a terrible mishap. My goodness gracious. But it was fun. It looked like it was a lot of fun. The Jesus in me greets the Jesus in you today. Everybody's got a smile on their face. What a way to have church, huh? Which really adds to the definition that the church has nothing to do with four walls, but with the walls that we create or tear down it looks like you've torn down a lot of them i had a great way to start my morning Uh, as you can see i fit the typical stereotype of a pastor that's the first thing i try to destroy because we pastors once people find that that out all we do is get to meet religious wallpaper we never really meet the real people yeah i got to ride my bike today that was pretty nifty Yeah, and I'd like to thank Jeff and Joe and Samson and Nan and Stick and Neil and Beetle because I had a great ride with them today. And I'd like to address Pastor Dan. Um, I saw how you were breathing quite heavily after that bicycle ordeal and might say that you're going to add a whole new dimension to the phrase, celebrate recovery. I've been asked to address the dads, but I don't want to leave out the moms The title of what I want to share with you is called like father like son And it's out of genesis way in the back Chapter 26 and no i'm not going to read all 25 verses Because what I found is being a good dad Does not come easily Nick this is going to drive both of us nuts Being the kind of dad whose kids will one day remember him with fondness and joy is hard work. Being the kind of dad who, although being far from perfect, still manages to love and lead his children well is no easy task. And yes, ladies, the man in your life may make it look like it's second nature, but being the kind of man who knows just when to firmly say, walk it off to his son or when to put his pride aside and put on a plastic tiara and have tea with the princess of the house is tough stuff. And being the kind of father that every little girl wants to one day walk her down the aisle, that every little boy wants to be like when he grows up, takes a ton of work. And just in case the guy in your life, ladies, is struggling with the demands of manliness in the form of being a good father, I wanna bring today to your attention one very valuable resource that might help and from which you should draw things quite seriously. It is a best-selling book. It's entitled, The Art of Manliness, Classic Skills and Manners for the Modern Man. And ladies, this could be a great last-minute gift for the man in your life. And also, guys, if you're trying to impress someone, you might want to order this on your own, like right after the service. And not only will it help you brush up on some of the essential guy skills, it may win you some serious points at home. I think few things speak to a woman's heart more than seeing her man improving his masculine aptitude in his fatherly fitness. And in this particular book, which is written by Brett and Kate McKay, a husband and wife team, it, it just offers a veritable man cave of useful guy-oriented insights that they claim are going to help men embrace the fading art of being truly masculine. It includes everything from long-lost survival skills to insights on developing your character, And they contend that each man is tried and tested at a skill level that needs to be honed and has been handed down from truly manly men like Ben Franklin and Teddy Roosevelt. For example, they believe that many men today are restless and unfulfilled and depressed in their living lives, as Thoreau once said, of quiet desperation. And the reason they argue is quite simple. Men have forgotten how to engage in a sense of adventure by getting out into nature, and every man who is a contestant today proved them wrong. They go on to instruct and advise men from everything on finding a campsite, which I think should be done online and perhaps made by way of uh, reservations quite early. I'll give you some of the topics, guys. Why every man should go to a barbershop, shave like your grandpa. How to be the perfect party guest. There's a one in chapter two I love. The mechanics of the man hug. I've seen some guys hugging. The the, the biggest thing to remember is always telegraph the hug before you hug him. Something like, because it says if you surprise him and you pin his arms by his side, that's not a good way to start hugging another guy. And And absolutely a must. Keep your nose away from his neck or his ear because it looks like you're nuzzling him. Here's one, ladies. Taking care of a pregnant wife. There we go. Husband of that, woo, listen up. Giving flowers like a Victorian gentleman. Teaching your kids how to ride a bike. Here's some really good ones. Streamlining streamlining your camping trip five ways to start a fire without matches and four knots every man should know So now you know what's in the book. I'm not pushing the book I'm just letting you know it's available Then it might be something else and if, before you really start laughing about how to books how to books on being a man Keep in mind such books are actually part of a long history of how to wisdom that we actually find beginning with the Bible Like I mentioned in the beginning, being a father isn't an easy job. And one of the most important roles, if not the most important role of a dad, is to develop character in the lives of his children. Now, when I say this to parents, dads and moms, I'm talking about not only the natural moms, the natural dads, I'm talking about spiritual dads and spiritual moms too. Every one of us, every one of us here, no matter what your marital status is a mom or a dad a mentor an example because i want to tell you something there is someone you may not know whom but there is someone who's watching you and what of the character of christ will they see what of the character of christ will they see and that's the question that we have to ask ourselves as parents especially dads we will develop the character In our children, the question is what kind of character will we be displaying and conveying? And I'd like to look at a father-son relationship from the Bible. It's one of the oldest. It's about Abraham and his son Isaac. Abraham was a great man, as we know. He did a lot of great things, and God used him in a lot of great ways. But Abraham was far from perfect, which should give all of us guys some hope. He was God's man. And I'd like to look at some events in this, the life of his son, Isaac, that show us the influence of his father. Now, the back story about Abraham, which is whizzed by, he's chosen by God when he's a young man. He's called by God to leave his home and then to travel into a new land. And God gave Abraham some very bold promises, like this one in Genesis 12 too. He says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. He also said, your descendants will become many nations and kings will be among them. And when Abraham and his wife, Sarah, were very old, as you know, God gave them a son. And God then said in Genesis seventeen nineteen, you will name him Isaac and I will confirm my covenant with him and his descendants as an everlasting covenant. So now that backstory, I'd like to move forward a number of years. Abraham has passed away. Isaac is now a grown man. And you can pick up the story in Genesis 26 because there are three events in that chapter that I will help, I think, that will help us dads pass on good qualities to our kids. And that's why I would like to call the message, like father, like son. So here are the three things that I, I would like you to, uh, to consider, if you would. The first thing... Especially Dads make sure you give your children something to continue We have been charged by our Christ to move forward to advance the kingdom of God. Have we not? Did someone paint faces on the lawns? We have been charged to move and advance the kingdom of God forward. Have we not? Thank you. This is you know, give and take now If our children come to Christ and have to go back to zero to begin their journey, how will the kingdom of God ever advance? I think our dream should be when you're ready to pass, you hand something off to your children and they continue where you leave off. And then any step they make forward advances the kingdom of God. The Bible says that there was a famine in the land and Isaac was preparing to move and God spoke to him. And in Genesis 26, 2, here's the text. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt, but do as I tell you. Live here as a foreigner in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. I hereby confirm that I will give all these lands to you and your descendants, just as I solemnly promised your father Abraham. I will cause your descendants to become as numerous as the stars of the sky, and I will give them all these lands. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I'm so thankful for that father and that son because we are all a legacy. We are in of that blessing given to that father and that son through their faithfulness. Because this is basically the same promise God made to Abraham when he approached him initially. And God's continued to say, I'll do this in Genesis twenty six twenty five, I will do this because Abraham listened to me and obeyed all my requirements, commands, decrees, and instructions. A faithful father brought a promise to his son and consequently gave us the faith because it produced our Christ. God started something in Abraham's life that he was able to continue in Isaac's life because Abraham was faithful to God. And in the same way, God wants to do things in your life, man, that he can continue to do through the lives of your children. And I'm not talking about passing down the family business or making sure your kids follow your career path. I'm talking about your family traditions, the tradition of your family's character, a tradition of obedience that they see through your faith in Christ. And certainly, and this is very important, that they see your acts of service in thanksgiving to christ for what he's done for you and your household because this is a matter of identity i don't know i'm not much of a facebooker i mean i can go through but when i first was introduced to facebook i i really had a an interesting response to it because i went to the home page and and i watched people and what they were saying and they were saying like just got up burned the coffee Toast tasted like carbon, and I ran out of jelly. And I said, so what? (laughs) Why do I need to know you're having a bad day? And I just traced those things. And there was a lot of that kind of superfluous information that I don't need to know about your life. But then I realized what people were really saying. Does somebody out there care? Do I have an identity that someone would recognize my life and text me something back or hit that thumbs up button or do something that says, I'm okay. I have a reason. I have a purpose. I've been recognized. It's an issue of identity. Identity. And that's what families are all about. There's something about being able to say to your sons and daughters, this is who we are. These are the kinds of choices we make as a family. This is the kind of lifestyle that we lead. For instance, when Abraham Lincoln was a little boy, his father, does anybody know the name of Abraham Lincoln's father? We know Abe, don't we? Yeah, Mr. Lincoln. His name was Thomas. And he moved his family from Kentucky to Indiana. The question is why? He didn't work for IBM. Wasn't in the military. He moved his family from Kentucky to Indiana by his own words because he was so strongly opposed to slavery and slavery was not permitted in Indiana at the time. Can you see the identity that he possibly passed to his son Abraham? And there's a story about Martin Luther King Sr. that I love. He, he, he entered a shoe store one day with his young son, Martin Luther King Jr., and they were told if they wanted to buy shoes, they'd have to go to the back section of the store to be waited on. And Martin Luther King Sr. said, we either buy shoes right here in the front of the store, or we won't buy shoes at all. Now, I don't know whether they left the store with shoes, but what I do know is Martin Luther King Sr. transmitted an identity to his son, Jr., and we know what that produced in our lifetime does anybody know who kurt warner is show of hands no ladies do i have ladies You right on girl you go kurt warner if for those who don't know uh, is an nfl quarterback who took the rams and the cardinals to the super bowl but that's not what i want to talk about kurt warner about do you know what he does when his with with his family when they go out to eat he picks one of his children from the table, and he says, scan the restaurant and choose a table of your choice, and then their tab is anonymously added to the Warner's check. What kind of identity do you think Kurt Warner is passing on to his kids? How many of us have considered going through the drive-thru, yeah, you can supersize it, but after you've done that, pay for yours and give the clerk a 20 and say, please, pay for the minivan's menu and give them the change. If nothing else, just to confuse them. Just those things that we can do. You've seen that bumper stu- sticker that says, "You know, practice random acts of kindness and senseless acts of beauty? No, don't believe that. I think that your acts of kindness and beauty should be deliberate, n- not random. They should be telegraph to everybody who needs to see that because it says in John chapter 13 that they will know you're my disciples by your love. And love is an action verb, an action verb. I'm trying to say, fathers, make sure you have something of value to pass on to your children. Make sure that your life begins something that God can continue in them and so advance the kingdom of God. Just like Abraham's heritage of faith and obedience was reflected in his son Isaac and we are the beneficiaries of that blessing second thing and remember there's only three points so we're almost there be aware and this one's going to hurt I maybe you know I, may, I, I think I stopped preaching I'm gonna start meddling now be aware and help them be aware of your character flaws ouch something really interesting happens in chapter 26. Take a look. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. When the men who lived there asked Isaac about his wife Rebecca, he says, She's my sister. Sound familiar? He was afraid to say, She's my wife. He thought they might kill me to get her because she's so beautiful. And then later, King Abimelech finds out that Isaac had been dishonest. He was furious. But if the story sounds familiar, it's because, as you already know, Abraham pulled the same stunt with his wife Sarah years earlier with the very same king. Both men did what they did because of cowardice and a lack of character. Both men showed a willingness to put their wives in vulnerable situations in order to prevent putting themselves at risk. And both men, of course, were in the wrong for doing that. But I do believe I said Abraham was a man of God and God used him, but that doesn't mean he was perfect. Isaac was a man of God, God used him, but that doesn't mean he was perfect either. And the same can be said for Moses and David and Peter and Paul and every other person in the Bible save Jesus. But here's the unfortunate truth. Your children are likely to pick up some of your bad habits too, dads. They're likely to inherit some of your character flaws. And here's the problem, because if you could fix your faults, you probably would, right? Right? I just want to make sure it's a confession. You know what they say about confession, it's good for your soul, it's just lousy for your reputation. If you could just get rid of your fear and your worry and your anxiety and all your bad habits all at once, you probably would, but you can't because you're not perfect either. Right along with all that list of characters in the scriptures. So your kids are going to see you fail from time to time. Maybe they will see you fail big time from time to time. But here's what you can do. You can be completely honest with them about yourself and your faults. You can say, for example, son or daughter, I struggle with my temper and I hate it. It hurts me in the workplace. It's hurt our marriage at home. It's not good for my health. And it's something I want to change. And it's also a problem I want to help you avoid so you can be better than me. Now it's not do as I say, not as I do. That's not what I'm trying to convey. It's about honesty and then using your flaws as a platform and a teaching tool for your children. I've had some heart-to-hearts with my kids. Oh my gosh, I remember one specifically, it was my son Noah. He was in college and of course he was 20, so I called him an in between He wasn't a teenager because he wasn't 19 and he wasn't an adult because he hadn't turned 21. So I made the mistake of calling him an in between and he railed against me. And what started out as a quip turned into an argument and just included a whole lot of other things that were totally non-related. And in the midst of the argument that ensued, and I can't even remember what the argument was about, I think it ended with something like, if you say another word, I'm going to close my wallet, and you'll have to find a way to pay for your next semester on your own. And he said, Next year, when I turn 21, I'm going to be twice the man you are. And I said, son, that's disappointing to me. Because I was hoping at 21, you'd be at least 10 times the man I am today. Because what I've shown you today is the reason you'll never mature. And then I launched into the idea that I somehow think that if I raise my voice, that comprehension increases... In the, same, in the same manner, and, and that's not right. The, the more you raise your voice, the less comprehension there is. It's just in verse. We can't have an attitude that is, it's never wrong when I do it, but we have to realize that we do sin, all of us. That's not my opinion. That's what the Word says. And we need to find ways to bring the truth to our children about who we are in a positive way and utilize it as a platform for their progress can you imagine if abraham said isaac i brought shame on the family name when i lied to that king and i treated your mother with disrespect and i put mom in danger this is not what a man of honor does and please don't follow my example on this one please learn from my mistake instead your kids are going to pick up some of your bad habits some of your bad qualities And I'm encouraging you to be wise enough to recognize your faults and be transparent enough to admit them to your kids. And then help them be strong and be overcomers and move the kingdom of God forward in their lives. And here's the third and last point. Please make sure they see you do things right. Towards the end of chapter 26, Isaac moved to another place and the Bible says that God appeared to him and spoke words of comfort and promise, very much like he said in the first part of that chapter. But here's the part I like Genesis 26, verse 25. It says, Then Isaac built an altar. I don't think I would have won. And he worshiped the Lord there. Now, that may not sound like a big revelation out of the Bible. But the question is why did Isaac decide to build an altar there? It's because he had seen or maybe he had heard about his own father doing that so many times in the past. It says in Genesis 12:7, and Abram, before he was Abraham, Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord. Genesis 12:8, then he built another altar and dedicated it to the Lord and he worshiped the Lord there. Genesis 13, 4, one chapter away, this was the same place where Abram had built the altar, and there he worshiped the Lord again. 13, 18, there he built another altar to the Lord. This man is a worshiping fool. God bless him. He gave his son an example of his own spirituality to follow. Abraham's custom was to build an altar at every key moment in his life and there stop everything and worship his God and thank him for what he had done. And Isaac knew that. He heard stories as they were passed down. He witnessed the example of his father firsthand. Men, you are in a church service today. That's good. Do everything you can build on that example. Do everything you can do. I mean, by nature, guys, I know we tend to be reserved about things of an emotional or personal nature. Our relationship with God is supposed to be a personal relationship through Jesus Christ, but it is not supposed to be private. I'll say that again. Your relationship to Christ is personal, but it's not private. It has never been private. Start in the book of Acts, it was very public. My life scripture is Acts 14 13. It was when P- P- James and John had been arrested, and they said, stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And they said, we can't. They didn't know what to do with them. They went to Gamaliel. What are we going to do with these guys? And it says in that verse that these wise men were astonished and amazed because they knew these guys. That's my version. These men were uneducated, unschooled, but this we know. These men have been with Jesus. It's a public thing, not a private thing. So, in understanding how men are wired, I understand it's sometimes not easy to talk about spiritual matters, but men, it is necessary. It is necessary for your kids to see examples of your spiritual life. And like I said, it means coming to church, of course, but I, I also believe it means that they need to know that you pray. As a matter of fact, I would say, invite them to join you in prayer. I'm not talking about grace before meals. I'm not talking about now I lay me down to sleep. I'm talking about facing life and the problems that life poses for you. And if age appropriate, bring your children into intercession for your family. Let them hear you pray. Teach them how to pray. Wasn't that what the disciples asked Jesus? Lord, teach us how to pray. He didn't say teach us what to pray. If you look at the Lord's Prayer, it's a beautiful outline on prayer. What to include in your prayer, not what to say, but an outline that you can plug your life into at any given verse. Bring them into a place of prayer. Today, I rejoiced. I saw children in the front, I saw children with moms and dads looking up, not into the heavens, but looking up at mom and dad. Have you taught them how to worship? That is a wonderful family trait. The next thing is have you taught them how to serve? Because the greatest of you in the kingdom of God will be the servant of all. I remember where I learned that lesson. I wasn't always a pastor, I wasn't always a Christian. I'm one of those guys that got saved in a Gideon's Bible in a hotel room in Nashville, Tennessee in 1975 at a broadcaster's convention. I was a producer-director for ABC for 22 years, and my life had fallen all apart. And I came to saving faith in Jesus Christ because I got bushwhacked, I call it a holy hustle, in a nightstand in a hotel room through a Gideon's Bible. I still have the Bible, I stole it. That's a great way to start your walk of faith. I also was convicted three years later that I had stolen the Bible in which I found Jesus and I sent them 50 bucks to Chattanooga, Tennessee to the Gideon's Foundation and they sent me back a thank you note that I have sitting on my office in a gold frame next to the Bible I stole. I did pay for the Bible. So no rumors, please. Having studied and been ordained, From 1984 to 1993, I tried to do all this all at the same time. In a morning time of prayer, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and simply said to me, Mike, do you want the career that you created for yourself, or do you want the commission for which I gave you birth? Go to the streets. And my question was, and do what? Dead silence. Dead silence. Can you imagine the look on my wife's face when I went back and said, honey, I think the Lord spoke to me this morning. And she said, what did he say? He told me to resign from ABC, sell my production company, and go to the streets. And she said, and do what? And I said, I don't know. And she said, you need to go pray some more. A year later, he said, Michael, I'm scared Is all get out. But if I'm married to a man who can't hear from God, then I'm married to the wrong man. Go ahead and do it. That was in 1993. And since 1993, we have been living by faith alone. Both of my kids got college educations. My dog still wags his tail when I come home. And my kids have not changed their last names and deny me. God is faithful. He is looking for those who will stand up. And as it was said in the scriptures, here I am, Lord, send him. (laughs) No, I do believe Isaiah said, here I am, Lord, send me. May I adjust that just a little bit as I close? Can you stand up in your prayer life and say, here I am, Lord, spend me. Bend me. I have found that my theology has grown quite simplistic now. At 65 years old, it isn't about how many angels fit on the head of a pen and finding the chapters and verse that justify my answer. I found that the Christ-likeness that Paul was yet in the pain of childbirth to develop, that Christ-likeness is simply getting to a place where we will love this world and the people therein with no conditions we are to love without conditions because that is the same way that we were loved romans 5 8 that god demonstrates that love in this that while we were yet enemies sinners christ died for us i can come up with 101 reasons in a heartbeat not to love someone and that's the challenge beloved because we are to be known by our love not for ourselves but for the ones who need to be drawn to the foot of the cross and understand and come to the saving knowledge of Jesus, our Christ. And that's going to take a long time because it's the hard work of love. I'm a pastor that's a little upset with the church universal. I kind of look at the problem we have right now as the problem that a man has when he comes home to his family and his wife is standing at the back door like this. And he says, He says, What's the matter, honey? And she says, nothing. Now, what does he believe? Her proclamation or her posture? Men, posture. I knew you guys were going to get it. But what have we done? We stand at the door of the church and we say, Jesus loves you. Your sins are forgiven. All are welcome. But our posture sort of indicates that you smell bad. You're socially inappropriate. You don't make enough money. And we don't think you belong here. What do they believe? Our proclamation of Christ's love are the posture at the door. One of the things I've learned about the church and the ministry in the streets is that we want to offer the poor ministry, but we don't want to offer them membership. The pain of poverty is not that you're poor. It's that nobody wants you. And we need to open our doors, beloved, and say, you know what? Jesus wanted me and we want you. Please come. Because how else will they know? How else will they come to the saving knowledge of God's love for them so they can become part of the family too? Men, show your children Christianity in action. Show them that you serve. Give them hands-on examples to follow. Let them see that faith produce things that Jesus has promised. Give them an example to follow. And make sure they know the place that God has in your life. Gentlemen, happy Father's Day. God bless you.